Welcome, 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 everybody. It's another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm George Sabados, and who is with me today? Do you want to guess? Uh, who may? You. Brett Pattinson. Brett Pattinson, my partner in crime in this series what's, of... What's welcome, welcome, welcome? It's like waka, waka, waka. Oh, come on. That's my cheerful... Oh, okay. my cheerful self. I'm glad that I'm you're cheerful to ex- today. I'm trying to express myself. Cheery George with his new hat on. <laughs> I'm cheery. I'm wearing a lovely... How would you describe it, Brad? You're a bit Peaky Blinders today. <laughs> I've been I've been that many times in my life, Brett. What blind? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few blinders, <laughs> and I think you've probably had a few blinders with um, the husband of our today's guest. Oh, I have indeed. Uh, what a charismatic bloke he is! But our, but I'm I'm super excited. We managed to get his his partner on today, and uh, who do we have, Brett? We have Naomi Simpson today. Yes, Naomi. Now, um, she's best known. She's best known as the founder of Red Balloon. But the story's more than that. Uh, you know, they've in the last year they've transformed into a a bigger group called the the, the big the red big, group. Big red group. I mean, she's she's famous for being that lady in red. The lady in red. I knew you'd do that. Lady. But she's always, you know, that's her uniform. And, um, but she has quite an ambitious plan to take that business to, an, to, a glo- to the global stage and, and, it's, and it's very exciting. But today we're actually going to uh, get to know her as a person yep. and, and also, you know, explore some of the, well, many of the major problems that she faced in her life and, and, and how she got over those hurdles. That sounds great. George. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? You know, Naomi. Naomi's um, was born in. We won't say the year, but February the twenty second yeah. is her birthday. We won't say the year because you don't say that. At, you know, you don't give people. Obviously age not. Why. But she's a she's a, a famous celebrity in, in of sorts. I mean, everyone knows her face in Australia. She she uh, from she the Shark was, Tank. Well, she was projected to fame on Shark Tank. She's one of the sharks. She was one of the nice ones on Shark Tank. Correct. She was one of the nice oh, I ones. I liked her, but I didn't, I didn't love all the rest of them, to be honest. Really? Well, some of them were okay. But yeah, I, th- could be I thought she was the most um, engaging one on, on the show, myself. Well, that, that, that didn't belie the fact that she, she, had a, she has a very shrewd acumen for business. Without a doubt. You know, in 2011 she won the Ernst, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. That's a that's a. Big that's accolade, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And she now, um, you know, she's, she's written a couple of books too, right? Correct. And, and she's seen as a as a leader of of um, small business or the the spokeswoman for small business because I think on her on her red balloon platform she represents three and a half thousand uh, small businesses. So, but, wow. but she'll she'll talk about that some more when when we yeah, get on. look, we we could. Well, we can babble on forever because we, we do. But she's but. also quite quite um, charitable, and she she she's philanthropic. She loves. Can you say that with with a lisp? N- no. Philanthropic. <laughs> <laughs> Such Maybe a big word. You need a li- you need a lisp to say that. But <laughs> she's but she's uh, she's a philanthropist. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I got you. I was leading up to that. I thought that was, I thought that was the next big word you were going to use. <laughs> anyway, she supports a lot of a lot of charities and good causes um, uh, nationally and internationally. So let's get her into the studio. Let's George. do that. 
welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts... So, Naomi, welcome to our studio. Thanks for having me. You know, that's great. I mean, I, you know, you know we, naturally we, we have a wonderful relationship because a while ago I fell in love with a wonderful man. Yeah. Yeah. Trout and, uh, I got him first. He was fisherman. mine. Trout, trout fisherman. Yeah. yeah. Trout fisherman. Yeah. How yeah. many trout have you caught? Let's not count. That's too many to count. Yeah. We're, we're, we're honoured to have you here in, in, in our studio because I know how precious your time is and everyone wants a piece of you. Uh, so we might need need to get on with it. What do you think, Brett? Stop yeah, it's talking. a good idea. Let's get stop on, talking. Get on with ask it, questions. Ask you. Ask questions. I'm missing. Naomi, w- w- I mean, everyone's everyone's seen the successful you. You know, the public you. And of course, it's sometimes very hard for people seeing you on TV to realise you're you're actually human. You're a normal human being, and you've had your own trials and tribulations in life. But you've had a uh, uh, what would cons- what would be considered a normal upbringing? Explain to us the family that you grew up in and where you grew up and how you saw life back then. Yes, I'm very normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> I'm very normal. It is funny when in doing the series Shark Tank, and then you know you go home and you go, oh gosh, there's no milk in the fridge. <laughs> oh, what am I going to feed everybody? Oh, the garbage needs going out, just like everybody else, you know. So I, I love being on set because all of a sudden everyone's really nice to you and then you go home and just life is normal uh, like everybody else, uh, which is which is fine. And, and family life is very important to me and it's something that I quarantine uh, so that I can be available for the people who I love and adore and who love and adore me because there's always other things to do. And, you know, I realise I've been working now for 35 years and <laughs> that's oh. a long time. <laughs> I think we should introduce Jack. our little man, don't you think? <laughs> hey, Jack. Uh, so, you know, we're recording on a Friday and Friday for me is the day that I get to do anything I want to do, which includes work sometimes. Yep. Um, but it is about uh, being with them. So we brought uh, Jack along for this interview because it's a Friday and he didn't want to miss out. It's his day. Like a... I think Jack's better looking than your husband, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a tight call, that one. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my upbringing, uh, I was brought up in middle-class Australia. Both my parents worked. My mum worked on one of the early computers in Australia at Monash University and mm. she was uh, such a wonderful role model and... Uh, Later in her career, she worked for a great Australian entrepreneur by the name of Lindsay Cadamall, who worked, uh, whose business, she founded a business called Aspect Computing. And so my mum would take me off to work events and so forth. And mum always just said, you, if, you know, she can do it, you can do it. It's, you could run a, your own business one day if you wanted to. And my dad also, as an engineer, a consulting engineer, started his own business from home with, you know, two teenage daughters and a wife and one phone line. And, of course, we'd be hanging on the phone. This is the olden days. We'd be hanging on the phone. And he's like, I'm waiting for a call from a client. (laughs) 
and um, yes, there was a little stress around working from home in those days and how he went about setting that up. But it was it was good for me to see in my teenage years of of how important customers were, and uh, yeah, and that was our livelihood. So, were you? Do you think at an early age you had that entrepreneurial? flair or did it, like did it come from the family? Or? No, definitely not. In fact, I kind of wonder where I came from right. in the sense that I always thought I would have a corporate career. I went to university and I, you know, my majors are in economics and commercial law, I think. Right. Such a long time ago. <laughs> Come on, it's not that long ago. Uh, it was very last century. But um, it was such a long time ago. But I always thought I would have a corporate career and I started my career in corporates. Uh, I, my first job out of university was with IBM uh, in New York and I worked for other big global enterprises such as KPMG and Apple uh, and I also work for an airline called Ansett which is no longer with us of course. I remember Ansett. I remember Bob mm. Ansett. Yeah, Bob but it was his father's <laughs> original of course who started mm. the airline and even though he had passed many years before I was working there and uh, there were still people who had worked with him and his DNA was still in the business uh, mm. and at some point that changed. Well, I... I um I've got to say that I read your book. Oh, one of them, yes. That's one of them. One of that's them. Live, one. live what you love. Yeah. And and it's um, it's a very, very interesting insight into you as a child because you reflect re, you reflect often on the things you did as uh, when you were younger, not least of which um, your first business experience was putting together a circus with your sister. Yeah. It was a failure. Well, we you, you sold tickets, no, but you didn't have the axe. circus on the side, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Have you not heard of it? Um, You're going to get the job as the clown, right, it, it wasn't a failure, but there was no revenue, there was no customers, so maybe that's a failure. <laughs> it was just ever an idea, really. And the first thing we did was create the tickets. So there was no show, but I knew we had to sell something. So that was very innate. The money piece was very important. Well, like pocket pretty, money was important. That's pretty important. Mm. I mean, in some ways that's how Red Balloon functions, right? You have to sell the tickets first. Mm. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So you're, obviously that was imprinted in you, which is great. But there's a long period of time between when you were five or six and starting Red Balloon. Yeah. So you went to university. You said you studied corporate law. As commercial well as law. commercial law, as well as economics. Yeah, it's surprising you have a personality. Oh, stop! <laughs> <laughs> You're just stereotyping now. I am. Um, you know, I'm. I'm still thinking back to my relationship with money. That's a very interesting one in childhood, um, and I remember as three or four, being three or four, my mother cannot believe the memory that I have. She thinks it's very <coughs> scary and she's very careful what she says because she That's knows right. I'll never forget. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, but when I was three or four, um, my grandfather died when I was very young but I can remember he used to give me a dollar note for my birthday and I knew that this was precious even though I was very small because five cents would buy a big bag of lollies. Mm. So a dollar was a very lot of money. And I remember asking my mum if she would buy me jelly tots, which was seven cents, and she said, no, that was too much money oh, wow. for jelly tots. I always wanted jelly tots. I remember jelly tots. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so I would save this money and I remember being in a shop and I saw this little book and it was an ABC book and I was very young and I just wanted it. I wanted it so badly. And my mum said, well, you've got your own money, so if that's what you want to spend your money on. And I, I armed an art and the book was a dollar. 
and uh, I ummed and ahed and ummed and ahed and I finally spent my dollar on this book and I loved that book and I read that book and I still have that book. Um, so I've got great return on capital investment there. That's great. Yeah, but what was interesting is I said, I, I said this to my mother, I said, well, Grandpa will give me another dollar next year so I'll be okay. <laughs> and she said, well, you can't count on that. You're going to have to learn to earn. And that was at the age of four. In other words, you can't rely on somebody else giving you something. You need to learn where your own money's from. And I've always believed you can earn your own money and um, and financial independence is really important. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, Thoreau says that most people most people live their lives in quiet desperation mm. uh, because they're, 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 they're waiting for that next paycheck. They're waiting for someone to hand them the money rather than go out there and earn. And, uh, and you've obviously found that going out there and chasing that has given you, you know, a lifestyle that maybe a lot of people would be envious of, but it's not something that didn't come easily or occasionally at a cost. Yeah, obviously there's always an opportunity cost and um, to where you spend your time and energy. But actually I'm in my happy place when I'm in control. And so you talked before about being an employee versus being an entrepreneur. Um, when I was, I don't know, two, in year one or two at school, uh, my report card said um, she's rather bossy with her friends. And I remember my parents sitting me down and saying, oh, there's been something written on your report card. And I was like, what? And they said, well, you're rather bossy with your friends. And I, it, I was like, no, I'm not. Am I? I just, I just like organising the games and the, you know, and so to me <laughs> I was just organising everybody and getting the game going and working out the rules and, and uh, that occurred to other people as bossy. And I do wonder if I had have been a boy if they would have said assertive leadership qualities but I, I was bossy. And that sat with me for a very long time because I had no uh, personal awareness of, of the impact of other people. I had no idea. So I have always been like that. You know, it's kind of off I go running and sometimes I bring people with me and sometimes people don't want to play. And it's okay. So do you find it um, in business, are you... Are you now at a point where you can let go of things without too too many problems? You know, like if you like to keep everything organised and a little bit of control, are you good at delegating now? So I don't believe in delegation. Right, okay. Because that implies that you're giving somebody else your job to do. Right. Versus making sure people are really clear about what their role is and I just don't do their jobs. Right. And there's a very subtle difference between um, um, making sure that people are accountable uh, for their contribution. And it's, it is very easy for me to say, well, I'll do it. Uh, and I often have to coach myself and say, it's actually not my job. Mm. And that's a really subtle difference between delegation and um, uh, Liz Wiseman wrote the book Multipliers and, and which is all about challenging people to be their greatest version of themselves. I don't say I get it right all the time. Uh, I was speaking to my business partner just yesterday, actually, David Anderson, and he said, you know, your personal motto is, if it's meant to be, it's up to me, and I live that every single day. And he says, but nobody really understands what that means to you because mm. they, they don't get it in the way that it actually completely drives you. And that is that I am accountable completely for my own destiny. And if something's not working, then I just pick up and 
until it's working, you know. And I think uh, team members around me, they just don't have the same ownership um, mm. of what they're doing and yet it's... Uh, it, it, uh, we have fabulous people around it all. We've got general managers, we've got very senior people running. You know, it's a material size business but uh, it, there is nothing like being the founder when it is your personal reputation. Um, and David and I are absolutely in this together as co-founders of the Big Red Group but, uh, yeah, we're, you know, yeah, we have to make sure it works. We, we're, we're responsible for 100 people's employment mm. and just inside our own group let alone all the jobs we create because of the work we do. Does that does it stress you out? I mean, I, I, for me, I would think, wow, there's hundreds of people that you're looking after. Do you get stressed about that, or does it come easy to you? You can't worry about what you can't control. Hmm. Um, it's just it's not a it's not a stress. It's a responsibility, and there's difference. Sometimes I look around and I go, I wonder what they're all doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all busy, and we produce incredible work. We have delivered three massive projects this week. We uh, delivered the new Red Balloon New Zealand website, we delivered the new Marketics website and we uh, delivered Adrenaline Kids just all in one week. Wow. People are doing incredible quantities of work and really great work. So um, it's, more the, it's more the fact that at some point you can't know what everybody is doing. Um, you, you don't know everybody intimately and it's just the way it is. That's about growing and scaling a business. Yes, uh, yeah, okay. I remember, Naomi, a, a seminal moment in my life where a, where a mate of mine flicked me a book uh, and I can remember the day and the year but, uh, and it was uh, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow mm. and, then, uh, and then that put me on a course of, uh, you know, reading self-development books and self-help books. You, reading your books, it's obvious that you've taken on a, a, that journey as well. At which point did you realise that that was essential to your life? Um. You don't know what you don't know and it's a bit to that point I don't know how I occur to others. I don't know how I come across to people and so forth. But it was um, my sister actually back in, I don't know, 2003 had been on a program, the Landmark Forum, and mm. she said, oh, you know, y you should go. And I'm not very close to my sister, just physically she lives in the country, she's, you know, raised four kids, she's now got grandchildren. You know, we're both just busy in our lives and it was odd for her to say that and to reach out uh, and say that. So I thought, wow, if she's saying that to me then maybe I'll go and listen. And, uh, and so I listened and I went and I did the program and until that moment I realised I'd never invested in myself. So, I, yeah, sure, I've got a university degree and I worked hard and I've done training courses but they were all about technical ability or uh, business things but never invested in my own emotional health and my own um, growth and development as a human being. And um, that program and there's a number of other programs, you know, that uh, are, are about that. It was about being present and about yeah. giving up the past and so forth. And that put me... Uh, into a space of uh, peace. So I was no longer as frenetic as I once was and I, I could be with imperfection. And uh, that was, that was um, quite an important moment. But it's important to have people around you who love you and trust enough in the relationship that they will hold up the mirror and say, this is who you're being right now for others with just absolute love. Did it also create a, uh, an awareness that certain people weren't, weren't up to the task? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I, I was 10 years into a marriage at that point and a very unhappy marriage of which I was not being myself and I was, uh, I was not, I was just surviving in the marriage and being a good mother and making sure that there was love for my children that they were um, well brought up. But there was no love and definitely no love and that it, it was uh, survival. Uh, and that took another 10 years really to evolve to a point where my children were raised and it was time for me. But uh, also working on the self-development, I didn't realise how much of an onion I'd created around myself, you know, how many layers of protection and how hard it was to actually get in. And when I ultimately uh, left that marriage or he left me, one or the other, it was just a parting of the ways because we were so not aligned on anything from values. We weren't even good companions. And when we did, my friends, my family, everyone said, oh, my goodness, it's like we've got you back. And I didn't realise how inauthentic I'd been because I was in protection mode for all those years. Yeah. I yeah. didn't realise. But it made it – I'm guessing it made it doubly hard in the sense that you also worked with your husband. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. Your ex, I should say. Yeah, my ex-husband. Um, yes, because there was no, there was no relief. Uh, and – uh, his background is accounting and, you know, it's, it's – I shouldn't say this, but it's easy to count on the money. It's not so easy to make it. Mm. And I was out there building the reputation for the business, selling, marketing, doing what I did and if the numbers weren't coming through, it was like, what have, haven't you done? I said, oh, I don't see you out there selling anything, you know. Mm. So it was not a particularly um, – you know, we both brought different talents to it but um, – I. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was always challenging because there was no relief. But you, you there two, was no MySpace. But you two founded the the the, um, the red balloon business. Yeah. But now you own it. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, there must have been a major hurdle that you faced. All right, you want me to tell this story? Yeah, I want, yeah. I want you to tell. We've the been story. waiting for this. I've been story. waiting. I for know. It. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so, You're okay with it, right? You're okay to well, tell the story? Well, this year I've started talking about it publicly because I think it's an Im important thing to say. One is, you know, people look at me and they think life's perfect. It's so not. And <laughs> I have as <laughs> big a challenge right. as everybody else. Uh, and, you know, I have good days and bad days and I have good weeks in business and bad weeks in business. You know, there is no perfect. Um, but it's how we roll with it. So, um, yeah, in 2011 uh, we separated. So the business was founded, Red Balloon, in 2001. So we'd done it for 10 years. We separated. I had been the CEO for that whole time. At one point I saw an email footer from Hinnett and it said he was the executive chairman. <coughs> I don't remember ever discussing that he was becoming the executive chairman. In other words, he just became my boss somehow. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that's interesting and not good. That A, we didn't even talk about it, but B... What message is that sending? And um, and I knew that something was pretty wrong. Anyway, we came to agreement. We separated. But I also at the time stepped away from being the CEO of the business. And long time uh, colleague Gemma Fastnage stepped in as the CEO, which was great. And uh, and then we created a board, which we both went and sat on. So neither of us were working in the business. Gave me an opportunity to go and do other things, write books, speak you know, Shark Tank and a whole bunch of other things came up, which was good. But I always wanted to buy the business and I kept saying, oh, I'll buy you out, I'll buy you out. And he said, you could never afford me. I there is no price I would ever sell for. And that's because it was a great business mm. and it produced really good amount of cash, you know. And so I was forever the role model, forever the ambassador 
because I'd been that for such a long time, you can't just tell people, oh, I don't do that anymore, now I'm doing this. Mm. It doesn't work that way. Mm. It's forever in my DNA. So my personal brand, as they like to say, or my reputation was inextricably linked to the success of Red Balloon and was always going to be and I wanted to get control of it. There was no way. Anyway, it was after... Uh, Gemma, unfortunately, went off and had a baby. I should say that's very fortunate. She had a beautiful baby girl, <laughs> uh, which was fabulous. And then we had... Um, another CEO came from internal, a gorgeous Christian. She was wonderful. And then she went off on maternity leave and then an external CEO came. Um, and then so a number of years had passed and in the boardroom I was beginning to watch that the top line was at best static and the and the operational expenses was going up. So at some point they're going to intersect and life isn't going to be so good. And But every time I would say something, I would say, you know, this is a gifting business or whatever it was or we've got to look after our customers and our suppliers, then... Um, uh, they'd say, oh, you're just being an emotional founder. And it was so patronising. And I said, I'm not being an emotional founder. Of course, in that moment, you are being an emotional <laughs> founder. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh. They, and they just weren't listening to me. And this went on and on. And, and it got so bad that I would have to get, um, I would have to go. And remember, my values weren't aligned with my then business partner either. So the way he went about problem solving and me were completely different. Uh, so we used to have to go and get Rocky and energy management before I went to a boardroom. So you know something's really lo- wrong when you, <laughs> you've got to kind of psych yourself up just even to go, walk into the room. Uh, and a great friend of mine who I'd known for years and years just done his massive exit in Europe um, of his uh, enterprise, came back to Australia and uh, I kept, as a, as a friend, I just kept telling him what was going on. He's going, oh, bullshit, no, he's going, seriously, it can't be that bad. And I go, it is. And he goes, just grow up here, will you, and just, you know, toughen up. And in the end I said, oh, I can't just, I can't do this anymore and they're going to put this business into the ground. He said, it's too good a business to be put into the ground. And both of us knew that the experience economy was on the rise. Like, it just didn't make sense. So, um, I, we came up with a plan and that was the first thing was to get me out of the boardroom. So I put him in as my alternate on the board. It was honestly the best thing I've ever done because they couldn't beat him up and they couldn't call him the emotional founder. And we would brief for four hours before he went in there so we knew everything. And then he was able to slow down the conversation saying, I don't agree with that. Like they were literally bullying me into making decisions in that boardroom right. of which I would object to and they'd say, you, you've got to let management run the business. You're just being the emotional founder. And uh, anyway, we put him in on the board. So, um, and that was really great. And from the inside, he offered all sorts of support and help to the management of which they refused to take because he was a friend of mine. And um, ultimately what David and I did was put together a package of creating the Big Red Group with a thesis about serving experiences to different audiences in different ways, of which Red Balloon would be one of the ways that we serve customers. So he set about acquiring the assets of acquiring Red Balloon. Uh, And he bought out my um, ex-husband. We bought out my ex-husband as well as myself. He didn't Mm. know it was me. He thought it was David and his other entrepreneurial buddies. So that's how it happened. I, no, he I, never knew it was I me. I often wonder how you... So that was good. I know. It's well called chess. Wow. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, uh, Brett. George. So, um, you know, uh, in, in today's busy climate, we seem to be juggling more and more. 
Yeah. What, what? You Juggling tend to what? juggle a lot, don't you? I do, balls. Yes. Every morning and every and night. Every, yeah, especially Before. when my wife's not around. <laughs> we always seem to neglect our work-life balance and financial well-being, don't we? How's your financial well-being at the it's moment? It's not good. Well, you need to see Gino, the Bondi broker. Yeah, I do need to see Gino. Apart from being the Bondi broker, he's also a top bloke. And he, um, he can help improve that balance with a free financial health check. He can streamline your finances and assist in reducing your debt and using competitive rates to improve your cash flow. And he's able to do a lot of things that might amaze people to restore their financial well-being. So he's a magician. He is a bit of a magician. He can pull a rabbit out of his hat. Perfect. And where can Who we find... like that? Everybody would like it. Yeah. So how do we find him? Well, if you're Bondi broke, you know, or just looking for, you know, the best financial advice in the marketplace, go and see the Bondi broker at... BondiBroker.com.au. I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you had a good circle of friends to help you with the strategy there, but did, would, I mean, you, you said earlier that there were many times where you felt a little bit nervous walking into the boardroom and you, you felt bullied. Um, you had, I take it on the board, you didn't have anyone that was supporting you there. Is no, that right? No one. No one. No. It was a very small boardroom. There wasn't many people but, there. But how did you feel? Like, really, how did you feel during that time? It might, couldn't have been a good time of your life. Shit. Get right. <laughs> Did you want me to expand? No, on it? no. It I think awful. everyone gets that word. It was awful, and um, and it was. I was helpless, completely helpless. And I'm not a woman who sits in the space of helpless very well. Yeah. I like to be in control, and I had, I wasn't able to do that. So, um, yeah. So, how do I get my power back? Was actually how do you often get power back is by cha- changing the structures, and that's what we did with uh, David and. Um, and he and I are incredible business partners because we deliver such different strengths with completely aligned values. And his experience of scaling businesses through private equity and all sorts is completely different than mine, which is all about customer and customer journey. So together, we're an incredible partnership of which we've, you know, almost tripled the size of the business in 18 months. So. That, that's that's. Re- that's not remarkable from the perspective that a business is often a reflection of the leadership and the mentality of the leadership and you you replace that and now the business has grown phenomenally. I mean, I remember – it's only been a very short space of time, three, it's, three it's, times. Yeah, yeah. It's <coughs> two years on the 16th of April since we did that deal. But you also went out on a, a bit of a buying spree and you, uh, you absorbed um, – Buying you, spree. Well <laughs> – It's a process of acquisition let, and due just, diligence, George. Oh, of course it is. That's a technical <laughs> term. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of technical terms. <laughs> but you've, you've managed to, you managed to uh, remove a, thorn in, a, a thorny competitor as well uh, in, your, in your space. Well, ironically, we thought they were a competitor and since we've had them, it's not. We found out really? that there's a very small – crossover in audiences as, as small as 7%. So what that has done is deliver us incremental business. Great. Uh, with the acquisition of Adrenaline. Great. And, and uh, Adrenaline is a fabulous business in sense of it's all about book and go, things to do. What should I do with the kids this weekend? We've just, as I said, we launched Adrenaline Kids this weekend for booking and where do I take my kids this school holidays? I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful product. But we just... Yeah, we had thought they were competitors when actually they're complementary, which is what you want out of a comp- uh, what, what you want out of an acquisition. So I can imagine 
I can imagine that um, people out there that are listening to this would be in their head like I just did, is you had a really bad business partner who just happened to be your ex-husband. Really bad. I think we better watch the language. Okay. He's still the father okay. of my children. Uh, a business, a partnership that <laughs> we didn't had a, work. We had a partnership that was out of alignment. But then, it, okay, a partnership <laughs> out of alignment, but now you've got a partnership that is in alignment. So yeah. the question would be from most people... Can, part, can business partnerships really work and how? Oh, amazing. And I talk about that in my second book, Ready to Soar. Oh, oh, oh which boom, is? Boom. Which is cool. You Ready may as well to give it a soar. plug. Ready to Soar. Uh, it's about choosing partners wisely. And I see a lot of people literally in they, um, they look around them and they say, oh, I'm not coping with this. Who is a person I trust? And they turn to their spouse, their best friend or somebody who's close at hand versus thinking strategically about what are the strengths I don't have? What are the experiences I don't have and what do I need to bring here? And I'm not saying that's how all pa- partnerships are formed. Mm. Clearly they're not. Mm. But um, the, my second partnership, which is the one with David and which is the one that is delivering all the results, is because we just... we absolutely adore each other because we get each other and we our values are completely aligned as is our vision and but our skill sets are so completely different mm. and that just means we've got the power of five versus the power of even two and I've seen a lot of women who start businesses and will turn straight to their husbands and especially even in the shark tank businesses mm. and that makes it very challenging and um, and yeah, and sad because not you know some, I'm not saying family business don't work they mm. can but you could be really clear about roles responsibilities who's doing what respecting the other person mm. and often it, you know if somebody thinks they can do the other person's job better there's something really wrong in yeah. the partnership so in other words you're you, both you and David are pushing the rock in the same direction not trying to we call it a flywheel a flywheel okay. it's a flywheel according to Jim Collins there you go yeah <laughs> Naomi, um, you know, before we go on to, you know, your, your, your big vision of the future. Um, you normally say big, hairy-ass vision that you've turned no, it down for today. big, hairy, audacious well, goal. I, I, I use the word asked, but anyway, that's <laughs> audacious will do. <laughs> I, uh, I just wanted to come back a little bit and, and, and ask you a, a question just out of curiosity. Tell me one of the funniest experiences you had on Shark Tank. Oh gosh! So of the four hundred pictures I um, I saw, um, you know, oh gosh, how do I choose? Oh, there's good ones and bad ones. Every moment, every time those doors open, you never know what you're going to get. And we really, um, it was a surprise and delight moment. Maybe not so much delight sometimes, but it was definitely a surprise moment. And there was always a sense of, oh gosh, will I ask the right questions? Will I know what's going on? You know, the voice in the head sort of thing. But the ones that uh, really stand out are the ones that were able to connect with us and mm. were able to speak in our world versus all, all about them, which is a really interesting kind of thing because it is all about them. But how do they create that sense of uh, relatedness? So um, there was one that was was really bad. You've asked me for a funny one. I mustn't be in a funny mood today. But there was <laughs> one that um, I think it made it to where... I think it did. I can't remember actually because for us we see 400 but only 
60 or 70 make it to air. And that's something people don't know. Yeah. So I'd never heard of Shark Tank before I was asked to be on it. Oh, right. And then my fabulous husband did some research and he said, oh, this is what Shark Tank is. And he found a clip on YouTube of Jimmy Kimmel on Shark Tank in the US. And and um, so Jimmy Kimmel arrives on set and he's uh, got a horse wearing pants and he's pitching horse pants. And he says to the sharks, the market opportunity is everything because there's zero horse pants right now on the planet. So every horse needs pants. And it's really funny and he gets invested and I was like, ha, 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 that's hilarious, right? And then we're on uh, on set and it's the first season and in walks this horse with this guy and I go, all right, I'm, I'm ready for this. I've seen this pitch before. This is horse pants. I know I'm right. Anyway, this guy comes in and he's got... Uh, dye for horses where you can change the colour of their fur. (laughs) Is it fur or hair? Their coat. Their coat. There you go. It's a coat colourer. And I'm just like, really? Why? Uh, And I said, uh, you know, because I was thinking of all those toxins, all that space, you know. I was going, do they have any say in this and whatever. And it was John McGrath was in the first scenes and John said, does it make them go any faster? (laughs) And he he goes, no. And then we just go, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> what, well, what was his point? What was well, he... his point was it makes your horse look better. It's just like different colours, I guess. No, huh? so if it's got a little bit of a white tinge somewhere, which means it's not yeah. pure black or you want to make it instead of dark brown, you want to turn it black. Black beauty. I don't, I don't know, but I, maybe horse people could tell us well, why it's important to have a perfect coloured horse. But the real question is, does it go faster? No. no. Well, what's the point? So you know, it didn't serve a function. Yeah. Didn't serve a function, so there was no business angle, really. I don't know. Oh. But I thought it was pretty funny. I wonder where he is today. I'll go I know. Him up. He's probably going to write in and go, well, actually, it was really <laughs> successful. <laughs> I made you guys don't know I made millions. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't the horse whisperer. He was the horse colourer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who knew Works it was well. a thing? Uh, so... So they always, um, they always. So you're always seen in red on TV, but your favourite colour is yellow, right? Yeah, and so <laughs> tell us. So do you really love yellow, and do you love red as well? Uh, red. Um, the reason why it's so funny. So red is uh, obviously red balloon, and mm. red balloon was named after a 1956 movie called The Red Balloon, okay. which won an Oscar and award for the best children's movie. And um, and it's about this little boy in Pascal, his best friend is a red balloon and he goes off on all these adventures and then the bullies get his balloon and they pop it and then balloons come from all over Paris. He picks them up and he's lifted up and goes on this amazing adventure over Paris. And I just thought it would be amazing if anybody saw a red balloon and they remembered the first red balloon experience they went on or that they gave. So it's a symbol of childhood happiness and it really works well for a gifting brand, mm, mm. which is really great. But I was out and about, let's say 10 years in, like maybe maybe even longer, maybe five years in, um, and we're coming up to our 18th birthday. My 18th year at Red Balloon is on the 1st of April. But on um, – and I was out and about and I was just wearing some red and, and somebody said, you look really good in red. And I go, okay, great, thanks. And I've worn it ever since. It's like a tick and flick. You know, people say I look good in it, so I'd wear it. And, of course, there is then for the association with um, being involved now with the Big Red Group mm. but mm. then with Red Balloon. So tell us tell us about the Big Red Group. I thought you wanted to know why my favourite colour was yellow. No, I just uh, – I've, I've got an answer no, now. 
<laughs> but it, it, but the but the uh, question led to a great answer because now I know <laughs> where Red Balloon came from. Oh yeah, it's a good <laughs> I didn't one. know. Do you who's was it a foreign film? Yeah, it's a French movie. Right, won an Oscar. It's on YouTube. You can see it's wonderful. I will now. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. So I got an answer that I I didn't want to ask that specific question. Why Red Balloon? So I yeah. got it anyway. Well, why, why is yellow your favourite colour? Oh, I just think it's nice. It's, it, pretty. it's a lovely it's colour. A, it's a very um, – I've always thought it was a happy colour. And yellow has been my favourite colour since I could remember time. So as a child, I ha- everything was yep. yellow. My room was yellow. Yep. My bed was yellow. Everything was yellow. So I think um, the next question, if you're not revealing too much, um, what's the next – what's your vision? What's your I vision going say, forward? what's your big dream? What's the BHAG? So the big, hairy, audacious goal. At the Big Red Group, um, we shift the way people experience life. Mm. And more than ever, we see that people are attached to their devices. I wish they're probably listening now on one. Hello, everybody. Let's make it wrong. This one's fine. Yeah, put your device down. No, no, not not yet. (laughs) In another 10 minutes, all right? right. (laughs) Uh, But it is about our ability to be truly present with people. And um, I wrote this post on um, LinkedIn a while ago which says, could you set aside your phone for 21 days in the presence of another human being? And I just got absolutely slammed. How dare I even suggest that? But it was just this, uh, which is hilarious really because I don't even know if I can do it. But it's a question that we have Mm. about our ability to be truly present and not be distracted. I don't have alerts on anything so that I choose to participate when I choose to participate rather than being distracted all of the time, which I think is funny because my dog's eating my hand right mm. now, which is slightly distracting. Well, that's okay. no, <laughs> but that's it's, been truly present. Jack's, Jack's it's, been remarkable. Truly present. it's actually remarkable that you got slammed for that. I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember yeah. when the Japanese came to Australia and, and we used to laugh at them taking photos all the time. Remember, they yeah. take photos of mm. flies on a wall. And we used to laugh at that and now we are all doing that. Yeah, yeah, we're all doing it. Um, And it's like if we don't take a photo, it didn't happen. And I think interesting, and you are talking about my purpose and where it came from, but uh, I was fortunate enough to visit Berkeley uh, and they were – and they're futurists and they were talking about the evolution of the brain, Mm. also in terms of machine learning and AI. And it was a really interesting conversation about how we're actually getting dumber. And that's, for instance, spatial awareness is very important for our brain health Mm. and yet um, we are dependent on Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever maps uh, that even, you know, to come here we only had to go (coughs) one or two blocks and we're like, oh, where is it again? We look at the Google Maps three times versus in the olden days we used to look at a map and then we'd memorise it. And then we'd work out where we're going to go. So, um, so Fascinating. yeah. So there, there is a real concern about some of our fundamental skills of being human uh, are being dumbed down by our dependency on devices. And so, in, if I think about our purpose, our purpose is to get people to hang out together. Our purpose is to get people mm. doing things they've always wanted to do, uh, and whatever that looks like. Which is why we say our purpose is to shift the experience of life. It's not about go and do experiences. We want people to be really living in the moment and experiencing a rich and interesting and vita- the vitality of being human. And that's ups and downs. It's not uh, this state of happiness, which is one of the many human emotions. So the shift the way people experience life might also relate to our, our 
business suppliers, our experience suppliers, because they get a shifted experience because we serve them lots of customers. You know, it might be within our AI, the Albert uh, product, because we shift marketers' approach of how they're thinking about serving their customer journeys. It might be within our um, ready.com business is about the experience of work and how we we want people to um, use experiences at work as a mechanism for inclusion, diversity and ultimately engagement because experiences, when people do things together, it creates a sense of connectedness and culture. So we're very intentional about what our purpose is and it has a quite a broad application, not just, oh, do I want to go and do a jet boat ride? It's more our whole philosophy of life. And so when we started with that thesis and came back into the business, we were serving an experience about every two and a half minutes. Uh, we came and we said if we could serve an experience every minute this year, that would be amazing. Uh, the last time I looked, we were serving experience every 39 seconds. Wow. <laughs> but wow. our big heritage's goal is to serve an experience every second wow. by 2025. So I'm assuming that takes you beyond our borders. Hmm, maybe. So world domination isn't out of the question. We're the third largest experience marketplace company in the world. Wow. Really? In Australia. A little That's Australia. Fantastic. Not low little. No, Not well, so little. No, but it's yeah. amazing. We're, like, we punch way above our weight. Yeah. So we've just done – and I'm happy to send this link out – but we've just um, produced a piece of research which is called the experience economy, the rising tide of the experience economy, uh, and looking at all the different aspects of how our society is changing to do with experiences, which is owning less, uh, doing more, the uh, and generationally what that means. And, and we're different than the US, and that's one of the things this research established is that uh, in Australia I think there's 82 searches per person per year for experiences – whilst in the US it's 63 or something. So we're far more attuned to the experience of life in Australia than they are necessarily in the US. So I think, uh, and there is a massive shift in what is important to people, uh, you know, whether it's the condo revolution of everything being organised and simple and minimalistic. <laughs> to, um, Marie Kondo. Yeah. My wife's taken that on too. I did it before. I just didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> Everything's all organised. I like everything organised. It's a bit too OCD for me but anyway, I like a little bit left out. Yeah. Really? I yeah. Wouldn't, have, wouldn't have guessed that about you, George. <laughs> So uh, we, normally we finish the episode with a song and, and a little bird. Oh, you told want me to me, sing? You can. Well, hang on. Hey, hang on a tick. That would be hang a on first. A <laughs> hang on a tick. We missed an important question. If you had to share one message to our listeners about, yeah. you know, life or anything, what, what would you – or a value that you hold dear, what would you say? Um, I would – we're all waiting for perfect and we're imperfect beings. And happiness for me or a sense of calm comes from the acceptance that I won't get it right all the time but it's about my intention of did I have the intention. And I recently just wrote a post about that and I think it's an important message because there seems to be this anxiousness about are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet? And no, we're never getting there but it's whether we enjoyed the ride and I'm very much about enjoy the ride. Mm. I always think of that Dr. Zeus book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Yes. Such a great book. It's so wonderful. It is. That's... So, um, so a little birdie told me that um, 
a song that you love is uh, Cold Plays Yellow. Oh, I do like that one. So can we finish with that song? You want me to sing it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it's even in a minor key. It's going to sound It's in terrible. a minor key, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should switch my favourite song then to something yeah. I can sing. <laughs> yeah, well. Red, red wine. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, I like that one better. Because <laughs> it really appeals to me from the wine. <laughs> the wine bit. Of course, George. <laughs> Of course. Mm. Naomi, thanks Thanks so much well, for coming in. It's such been a pleasure. Terrific. My Thank you. It's been so great. Thank, thank you for gracing us. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. In our little thank humble you. little studio. And thank you for sharing with my family, Jack yeah. and Stu. It's Stu. always a family affair. And, and Stu actually got in before you because we interviewed Stu in our first, like the third episode when we started and we haven't got any better by <laughs> the way. But, no, no, but, he, but, he, but he shared a photo of him in his 1970s hot pants, his little shorts, his <laughs> yeah. skippy shorts, you know, next to an E.A. Cholden. Yeah, uh, that know, was almost like a marriage with, ending with his, move. With his, handle, <laughs> with his handlebar moustache looking a little bit suspicious but anyway. He's going to whip those photos out. <laughs> I think I'm pretty grateful I met him when I did. I don't know if we would have uh, got together. You know you married a bloke. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Naomi. So my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
All the things that you do 